And to make these investments today, the main thing holding these leaders back is not access to credit, which as we have seen is plentiful. The markets are liquid and companies can access funds. The main constraint is actually recruitment, finding the skilled human resources needed to support or promote the transformation. This is true for both the energy and digital transitions. Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in to this new episode of Trade Talk, the podcast designed to help get your business growing with confidence. In this series, we tackle different aspects of economic activity and their associated challenges through a mix of expert analysis, views from business leaders and testimonials. During crises and recoveries alike, if there is one recurring major concern, it's financing. How can you find the funds needed to mitigate the effects of cooling activity? That's the first point, of course. But once that issue is addressed, identifying the financing sources needed to support a full relaunch, figuring out where the funds will come from and in what form is equally important. Having the wrong financing in place or failing to properly recognize risks during this crucial phase can cause a company to miss out on opportunities and ultimately threaten a firm's long-term survival. To help us unpick the financing challenges facing companies today, we are joined by two experts, Karine Pichon, Western Europe CEO at COFAS, and Grégoire Chauvien-Ledrillon, Head of Office for the European Investment Bank in France. Grégoire Chauvien-Ledrillon, hello, welcome. Bonjour Ingrid. Hello. The institutional response to the COVID-19 crisis in terms of uh, supporting companies and preserving business financing has been quite different to the reaction to previous crises. I'm thinking of, of 2008, for instance. There is a sense that we have perhaps learned from the past mistakes. Um, would you agree on that? Definitely. There is a huge difference in how European institutions and governments responded to the 2008-2010 crisis compared with their reaction um, today. First and foremost, in terms of the speed and scale of the response. After the 2008 crisis, Europe did not set up its stability mechanism until 2010-2012. And we had to wait until 2015 for an investment-led recovery plan. When the European Commission got involved via the Juncker plan, so, uh, we can say that Europe's response was spread over years. Fast forward to 2020 and we see a completely different situation. The crisis began in February-March 2020, and by June or even May, we had initial responses from the European institutions, including the European Central Bank, the European Investment Bank, EIB, or the European Stability Mechanism. These European institutions took action, working alongside member states to provide solutions. One of the culminating moments in terms of this reaction took place on July 21, 2020, when we saw the joint debt issuance and massive investment plans for Europe with an unprecedented 750 billion euros earmarked to finance Europe's economies in order to both prevent the crisis from spreading and find investment-based solutions. Karine Pichon, hello and welcome. Bonjour. Hello. 
governments and central banks engaged in massive interventions as they responded to the unique challenges presented by this COVID crisis, uh, particularly by injected liquidity to support the economy. Did this work? Um, how have companies been impacted by those actions? The measures taken were highly effective and made it possible to safeguard our economic fabric. They even helped to bring down the number of corporate insolvencies. In France, for example, the number of insolvencies in 2021 was at around half the number recorded immediately prior to the COVID crisis, reflecting the fact that this influx of liquidity made possible through government measures and with the support of central banks, not just in Europe, but also in other countries around the world, enabled sound and struggling businesses alike to maintain their cash flows. To some extent, then, these highly effective measures numbed the economy. And some firms that were experiencing difficulties before the crisis will potentially still be in trouble after it ends. We can therefore expect to see a pickup in the number of insolvencies, which is something that we have already observed in several countries, such as the United Kingdom. In fact, the number of insolvencies is gradually climbing in France, albeit from historically low levels. Besides the, the increased risk of, of potential business insolvencies post-crisis, are there other areas of concern, other areas to, to watch, um, or, or perhaps are you seeing new, new risks emerging? I don't know if we can call them new risks, but we had already identified other risks before the health crisis, and these are coming back to the fore. They include supply chain risks and inflationary risks, which are obviously exacerbated by the current conflict between Ukraine and Russia, geopolitical risks. Then there are technology risks and digital risks, which we see notably in the automotive sector, for instance. All of these risks were there before the crisis, so I would not describe them as new. However, some of them are being exacerbated by the geopolitical situation. In any case, they're definitely present. Grégoire, could you tell us about business financing needs today? Is there, is there still a need for money and, and for what goal ultimately? We are seeing a major influx of investments backed by public money. Europe's 750 billion euro recovery plan is fueling domestic efforts. For example, France's 100 billion euro recovery plan is 40% funded by the European Union. So major funding is available on the markets. These funds target two areas that are critical to the transformation of our economies. First, the energy transition. We are in the midst of this transitional phase, which comes with its own specific risks, such as the current surge in energy prices. Second, you have the digital transition, which the crisis has accelerated, not only by accentuating remote working needs, but also by increasing the need to digitalize our companies and economies. Today's investments are helping to speed up and support these two transformations.
We will cover those transformations in future episodes. But now at the European Investment Bank, how are companies approaching this transformation in terms of investment? The European Investment Bank's Economics Department publishes an annual study on the investment choices and expectations of business leaders. We survey around 12,000 senior executives as part of this exercise, which we have carried out for several years. However, this year's survey threw up some striking facts. Business leaders today believe that the environment in which they operate, i.e. the climate, has an impact on their revenue. This points to significant awareness that wasn't there three or four years ago. Recognizing this external impact on activity, these same business leaders expect to invest in the energy transition. And to make these investments today, the main thing holding these leaders back is not access to credit, which, as we have seen, is plentiful. The markets are liquid and companies can access funds. The main constraint is actually recruitment, finding the skilled human resources needed to support or promote the transformation. This is true for both the energy and digital transitions. Karine, you, you mentioned central banks, but private banks have also played a big role in providing financing uh, to get through the crisis. Has the approach to business financing changed? We haven't seen any, and I think that, if anything, the crisis has underlined the pivotal role played by banks in business financing. In France, traditional banks distributed state-guaranteed loans to combat the COVID crisis. Conversations are now being had about gradually scaling back the support provided by these loans, potentially even in sectors that have been especially hard hit by the health crisis, by turning them into equity loans. However, this would not greatly change the financing approach. Besides conventional lending, another widespread approach in Europe is factoring, which offers a way to finance companies by purchasing their receivables. More marginally, there are methods that rely on access to financial markets, but far fewer companies actually go to the markets for refinancing. So, to sum up, not much change, rather a reminder of the vital role played by banks in business financing. Yeah, absolutely. The financing system seems to have to be working fairly well. Um, could higher interest rates cause the mechanism to, to seize up somehow, um, creating a new challenge for companies maybe? In terms of interest rates, and I should point out that we're starting from record low levels, a gradual increase accompanied by an economic recovery, which is what we're seeing today, will likely have limited consequences. Some sectors are back at activity levels exceeding those seen prior to the outbreak of the health crisis in 2019. Any increase in rates will definitely be accompanied, as it is not in the interest of central banks, and particularly the European Central Bank, to stymie the recovery. On the contrary, they want it to continue. So if the debt overhang takes place, as it is the consequence of the rise in interest rates for companies, with activity picking up, the effect, if it is gradual and well-anticipated, should be limited.
Grégoire, we understand that the European Investment Bank plays a major role um, through its financing and by steering investments to future-focused projects. This is especially critical when exiting a crisis, of course. Um, How are you currently doing this? The European Investment Bank is the lending arm of the European Union. It was set up in 1957 by the Treaty of Rome and is tasked with pursuing European public policy goals. The four main focus areas are infrastructure. The European Investment Bank finances virtually all types of network infrastructure, including transport, energy, water and power. Small and medium-sized enterprises, which we finance via financial intermediaries, banks and investment funds. Innovation, this is vital, because if we want tomorrow's companies to be competitive, we need to invest in innovation, research and development now. If we're all vaccinated today, or most of us at least, and if many of us got a Pfizer shot, it's thanks to work by BioNTech, an EIB-funded company from Germany. We have backed BioNTech's R&D since 2019. The fourth area is the environment, which is poised to become the most important of all, because we are convinced, and this is the commitment that we have made to member states, that we need to invest massively at European level in the energy transition. What advice or recommendations would you have for companies that want to invest and and tap into the economic renewal? What we are seeing, and this is an important point, is that companies that have engaged in corporate social responsibility for several years tend to be more resilient in the face of the crisis. And we are seeing the same shift among investors. What I mean is that today, CSR awareness is not simply about greening portfolios. The evidence shows that companies that engage in a responsible approach, a value-sharing approach, a genuinely impactful approach, are going to stand the test of time, or at least be more likely to survive and be sustainable. Karine, to wrap up, um, do you have any advice or recommendations maybe for companies wanting to relaunch? We always give the same advice. There are always risks. They're there when the economy picks up. They don't disappear. I'm talking about what is happening right now, obviously, as we're seeing geopolitical risk. I would reiterate that the main reason for companies going bust is when one of their key customers do. For this reason, having current information on the quality of customers, on their ability to make payments and honor their commitments in relation to deliveries of goods and services is critical. With this in mind, COFAS has over 700 people around the world conducting daily analyses, company by company, sector by sector, country by country, to help and support companies in their development. Thank you both, Karine and Grégoire, for your advice and your insight into the current financing opportunities available to companies. I am Grille Buzon, journalist for COFAS. In our next podcast, we will continue, of course, to explore the risks and opportunities around the economic recovery. We will tackle a topic that the health crisis has truly turned into major concern, namely digitalization. In the meantime, head over to cofas.com for all of Cofas countries and sectors risk analysis. Thank you very much. See you again soon.